My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. you're about to hear may disturb you names have been withheld to preserve our guests safety and possibly your safety too the truth is a dangerous mafia of criminals exists within or on the outer edges of hollywood and the media hope and pray you never become mainstream especially if you focus on where fantasy meets factuality or where evil hides behind makeup and tinted glass on its way to the red carpet for all to behold the sleight of hand deception where beauty fame and brutality combine the bottom dollar and the almighty high priests of hollywood today's guest brett bender joins me mystic mark here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast to discuss his new documentary concerning the mysterious death of Isaac Cappy. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Brett Bender. I don't think Isaac Cappy was purposely set up to do this. I speculate in the documentary that he could have been MK Ultra compromised. He was good friends with Seth Green. They would hang out with each other for game night regularly. Uh, not only that, he was he knew Paris Jackson, Michael Jackson's daughter. I just look over like spiritual wisdom found on 4chan. Cause I'm like, look, this is good information from an anonymous source. That's what like so many of us have in common is we just crave in an inauthentic world to see original content again. Right. Like I posted on my Instagram story just yesterday. I was watching the movie Be Cool from the early 2000s. And I'm like, Hollywood doesn't make original content like this anymore. So there's still that desire in the marketplace for to consume original content, but it's not being provided by Hollywood or Netflix or any of these things, which opens up the market to the internet that anyone can take advantage of. Mm. You know, that's why it's like, 2023, so many people, I've seen them say this, it's the year of discernment. On my channel, I call it the year of the white rabbit. I believe that in order to find your dharma, you have to be so miserable that it pushes you to actually do it. I was working like in an office job, which like I could tell the people around me, like they weren't happy, but they could tolerate it. I couldn't even tolerate it. Like, not to sound dark, but I'm like, I would literally rather kill myself than fail at finding something different where I'm empowered mm -hmm. and I'm like my own boss. 
because like we used to have coming of age ceremonies and stuff and more helpers to like guide you on the right path but we live in a society where like people are guiding you like unconsciously usually down really self-destructive paths like whether it be like when you're a young kid and your friends want you to go out drinking all the time or people tell you to like oh just get a bullshit liberal arts degree and then work for some office somewhere like there's so many bad paths people are being taken down Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and with me for the first time is a gentleman who I recently learned about. He's got an excellent YouTube channel, Brett Bender, at Brett Bender. Brett Bender, welcome to the show, brother. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Mark. I really appreciate this. Yeah, because right now, as I told you, my YouTube channel is a strike, so I can't Mm. post anything for a week. So I told you this is perfect timing, so I can still like pump out content on YouTube, while I'm in timeout, and my timeout will be done in five days. Excellent. I've been misbehaving. Yeah, I, I've been in timeout with YouTube before, and uh, it's definitely made me change the way I relate to YouTube. So, uh, yeah, lesson learned. I don't know what you did, but we don't need to spend too much time on that because you have some really uh, excellent content on your YouTube channel, or you did until they maybe took some of it down. And I hope you find an alternative place to put it like Rockfin or something like that. But uh, we have a pretty controversial, is this, this topic, uh, this Isaac Cappy doc, is that what got you taken from YouTube? Is that? Yeah. And it's like, I wasn't even upset that they took down my Isaac Cappy documentary because I did name some names and it's like, I understand you want to, you know, uh, protect your harassment policy. Fair enough. What upset me was the fact that um, after getting a warning for uploading it, I edited out everyone's name and I waited for the monetization review process to go through. And YouTube got back to me and said, yep, you're totally good to post, but with limited ads. And I'm like, all right, sweet. Then right when I post it, they take it down and give me a strike. And it's like, dude, you told me I could post it. What are you smoking, Susan? Yeah. Well, they bait and switched you. It seemed like they gave you this like false impression, but you know, with the algorithms and the way that they, I don't know, maybe use computers or they use like people on a, a, you know, computer somewhere in another country and they're just like going through content, making decisions like in three seconds and going, moving on to the next post. Like, I don't know the mechanism. Yeah, I think it's kind of just like the banality of evil. I don't think anyone's right. like out to get me, but it kind of reminded me of like in the Iraq war when George Bush told Saddam, like, yeah, you can invade Kuwait. All good. Then the second Saddam invades Kuwait, it's like, no, you can't do that. Then they invade like uh, Iraq. You know, right. it's that kind of thing. Well, and, and I think, you know, with this type of uh, information, you shouldn't have expected anything less. I mean, right. It is, it is content that, for the most part, YouTube has seemed to 
stand against over the past yes, you years. actually warned me kind of we were emailing and i told you about my doc and you're like oh that's a touchy subject people have been sued for that right, <laughs> so right. i could have listened to you really well and, and i didn't say that uh, hoping you'd listen to me i just kindly thought i'd offer my advice because of you know my contacts in this conspiracy community uh several people have talked to me about that topic and uh few have wanted to talk about it on the air so i'm excited to talk about it with you the last time we've talked about isaac cappy was with Corey daniels who uh, lives in arizona and has a website called phoenix enigma uh, he's done a great deal of research into that realm uh, although that was some time ago so you'll be refreshing my memory a bit but why don't you take us into what initially inspired you to create this because you have a youtube channel you've covered a bunch of different topics you've been doing that for how many uh months or years now you, you've had your youtube channel for a while now yeah yeah, so I started it like a few years ago with the, when the Jeffrey Epstein thing became right. popular. I did a bunch of videos on him, and then I took a break for a couple of years. And now, now I'm back on the back on YouTube again, like really focusing, pumping out great content. And I it, what drove me to Isaac Happy was the same thing with Epstein. It's the idea that people don't really always look at facts and figures. They look to authority. So the mainstream news was finally giving people the green flag like, hey, we can look at Jeffrey Epstein for the crimes he's done. It's OK to openly talk about it. It's kind of similar to Isaac Happy, too, because he's like a celebrity. And in our culture, like Hollywood celebs are like put on a pedestal. So we can say like, hey, there's actually multiple Hollywood whistleblowers talking about this really big problem in the industry that we're like, as a civilized society, we can't ignore, mm. you know? Right. So that's what led me to Cappy. And yeah, I just I just found his whole story really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And more information uh, comes out every month, every week. Uh, more celebrities, more notable people getting uh allegations we'll say politely but i mean you know i personally never thought this guy was funny uh after listening to him on a few podcasts i sort of got sick of him but uh crystalia recently got oh, you know yeah. exposed on uh this netflix documentary and you know working for sam like i really love and respect his opinion on this kind of thing where it's like you know uh comedy you know we're supposed to defend other comics but you don't hear anybody standing up for this guy and and that's because he is a creep and if he wasn't then you might see people standing up for him and yeah it's just it's really it seems like a pattern that can't be ignored and i'm really happy to have you on to talk about it because people are are wondering what's going on in hollywood and you know, I try to go into the realms of history to figure these things out. And, you know, as far as I know, Dave McGowan kind of showed us a spotlight into where the military had a lot of influence over the music industry. And I wouldn't be surprised if they wielded that same you know, influence over the movie industry. And I just haven't gone into that topic too far. But yeah, it, Seems like Isaac Cappy isn't quite a celebrity. He's more like a, you know, C-list celebrity, so to speak. But he was close enough to figure enough out to whistleblow. Do you think that Isaac Cappy uh, was a plant at all or, or maybe set up to kind of do this thing? Or do you think he was so an honest person? I, 
Well, I don't think Isaac Happy was purposely set up to do this. I speculate in the documentary that he could have been MK Ultra compromised, mm. which is something that might sound like kooky to someone who hasn't looked into these subjects. But the CIA has declassified MK Ultra. Um, it's been talked about more recently because of what Ye said, where his physical trainer, Harley Pasternak, sent him that text message saying, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, basically, we're going to drug you. OK, to the point where like playtime won't be the same with your kids. And we could look at Harley Pasternak and see he actually worked for the Canadian government in like their mind control program, their version of MK Ultra. Like this is all verifiable stuff, even though it's crazy. And like the number one key to MK Ultra is to get a human being to do your bidding, to do your will, basically like a controlled puppet is what they want to turn these people into. And the reason I speculated he could have been MK Ultra right before he died is because there was a pedo gay researcher named Tracy, and I won't say her last name, who was looking into Cappy. And she was in communication with him, telling him that there was this owner of a campground uh, very close to where Cappy um, committed suicide. And this owner of the camp campground was being studied by Tracy, and Tracy found that he was most likely like selling kids um like using youtube videos and like code words inside of the youtube videos which if you've gone into this research this is something that i've seen other people like point to so it's not just tracy saying that this is like what these people use um and this guy the owner of the campground he bragged about like knowing mind control techniques and stuff like that and we were able to discover discover that isaac happy was in these two areas the day before he died from the campground city to the place where he died in Belmont, Arizona. And so it's like Tracy, she thinks that because she told Cappy about this campground owner who knew MK ultra that Cappy was investigating this guy, or he was like involved with them somehow when they were trying to kill off a loose end being Cappy. So I think it might be possible, even just looking at the footage where Isaac Happy just looks like he's in a daze on the bridge. And we know that MK Ultra does occur in Hollywood, thanks to Ye's testimony. Like, I think that it is a possibility. Mm, absolutely. Um, another possibility is uh, Isaac Happy, soon before he died, he said on his last stream, I've done some bad things. And he was saying, I didn't hurt any kids. He's like, that's not what I mean, but I'm not going to lie. I've been bad. I think that Cappy might have been dabbling like in the dark arts, which is pretty popular in Hollywood. And I think that's what he was alluding to. Uh, and that's something that Tracy Twyman is actually well known for, the researcher who looked into Cappy. She also was into like the darker aspects of the occult. And I think right before Cappy died, he was either MK Ultra or he was dabbling in some dark arts and he couldn't like handle like the, the mental pushback that comes into delving into that territory. Mm. Is this kind of stuff like does that resonate with you? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, dark arts, no, in the sense. That, yeah, I know that's not what I meant. Yeah, I worded that bad. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I've I've heard a lot of this, and uh, yeah, it checks out with with what I've heard. And you know, this is we're talking about something that occurred in 2018, or, or what was the year that 2017, 2017, or 2018? Yeah, it was. Sorry, I should know. 2018, I thought, or no, 2019. So Cappy's, and I don't blame you for it being foggy, because ever since the COVID pandemic, pandemic, it's everybody's had this kind of time experience, and maybe we'll get into yeah. that when we sort of talk about uh, our other 
topic that we hope to get into. But uh, when it comes to Cappy, I only bring that up because I remember around that time, um, Seth Green was a major point of his conspiracy, right? Whenever you heard about Cappy, especially after he passed away, people would talk about, well, what was Cappy getting into? He was getting into Seth Green. He was friends with Seth Green. He saw this stuff. He was trying to tell everybody about it. But they didn't say anything about this campground thing, right? And then that's kind of interesting because then sometime after that, uh, Tracy passes away under odd circumstances. And I think that's when maybe the, the more, more details came out uh, and, and people started to see maybe there was a, a deeper connection uh, going on uh, beyond just Cappy's relationship with Seth Green. So... What did you learn about Cappy and, and how he got involved with this whole realm? Uh, did you learn, like, maybe why he was friends with Seth Green and, and what well, happened ever since that friendship started? The thing is, Cappy, you can tell in his videos, he is a very, like, likable guy. And you can tell he actually did make a lot of friends in Hollywood. Like, he was good friends with Seth Green. They would hang out with each other for game night regularly. Uh, not only that, he was he knew Paris Jackson, Michael Jackson's daughter, and Cabby got into some trouble uh, soon before he died for like choking her, apparently. But there were no like um, she, he wasn't arrested for it. She didn't press charges. So it was very vague. Like, was it a serious choking or was it just like him pushing her away from him? Who knows what actually happened? But um, he was in these circles and I think he was breaking down at the end and um, burning bridges because he wasn't afraid to just like speak his mind and call people out. And it just seemed like to me, they were bringing in Cappy kind of testing the waters with him. Like, Hey, is this guy cool enough for us to like tell our secrets to? And I think that they started um, exposing too much of their dark secrets to Cappy and he couldn't handle it. And he flipped out. Well, and, and do you think that Cappy himself maybe was, uh, complicit to some degree, and maybe that's why they gave yeah. him more information. Like, you know, this story about him <laughs> choking Paris Jackson. I mean, she's definitely connected to some weird stuff if the allegations about her father are true, right? So, yeah, what what about Cappy? Do you think he, he's kind of involved more than he Oh, definitely. He told? I think he definitely why You would have to be for them to feel comfortable enough to even begin to tell him this sort of information. Mm -hmm. That's why I said earlier, I believe that he did dabble in the dark arts. Right. I think that's like one of the first tickets that Hollywood gives you if you started going into these inner circles. Because this doesn't just happen overnight. We can like compare... Isaac Cabby to another C-list Hollywood celeb like Owen Benjamin. Like Owen Benjamin, I don't think he really took any tickets in Hollywood. I think he just like got ostracized and got out. And his story's sort of similar to Isaac Cabby's in that way. Right. Um, but then Cabby he seemed to go down these really dark paths that ultimately led to his um, strange death. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the comparison to Owen, but yeah, definitely different in the sense that Owen was kind of controversial for his freedom of speech rather than like his uh, weird associations, you know, and exactly. Isaac yeah. definitely, you know, it seems to, I don't know, maybe felt uh, like he needed to come clean or, or maybe even uh, sh be a whistleblower to some extent. And I think that's something that a guilty person may kind of feel like could relieve them uh, of their conscience, you know, their guilt, right? Uh, who knows? But it was certainly strange. The site 
where Cappy passed away or was killed or took his own life. Uh, I don't know how someone can take their own life jumping from such a small height uh, yeah. over a road, nonetheless. And his body was found under a cardboard box, which seems very strange unless he was trying to use the cardboard box as a parachute. I don't know how the cardboard <laughs> box would have ended up on his body, you know, like that. So, yeah, there's there's certainly a bunch of really strange things about uh, the circumstances of his death. And I'm sure you get into that with the documentary. Now, when it comes to this campground owner, do we have any information on maybe his background beyond his bragging about hypnosis and mind control? Does it, does it show like maybe military or other sort of connections, anything like that? See, this person is very private. Um, I looked into him and he seems like a business owner. And on TripAdvisor, you can see reviews where he like threatened to like shoot someone who went on his campground, like a, a paying customer was threatened to be shot by this camp owner. So we know that he has a history of violence. Um, but no, I honestly couldn't find anything else about him. And me and my producer, we dug, we looked and we're pretty good researchers, I feel like. But he is very private. Interesting. Yeah. And as far as like strange characters, uh, were there any other people that came into the picture when you started digging? Any other associations that maybe Cappy or, or Tracy had that uh, shed light on, on what could have happened here? Yeah, that's the thing with the Cole Cappy story is it is very mysterious. And I think that's what like draws people to it even further. Um, I know that Trace, the Tracy is not the only like pedogate researcher to die in mysterious ways. There's another one. I believe her name was like Mary something. I'm not sure if you know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah, just like we kind of focused on in this documentary, the connection between Tracy and Cappy. And it's worth noting, like Tracy um, actually did dabble into really dark aspects of the occult. Like she was using like a Ouija board to communicate with Baphomet. And um, someone actually was attacking me in the comment section saying, like, you've dragged her name through the mud. Yeah, she did that, but she atoned for it at the end of her life. Mm. And it's true. It seems like that's true. Like, at the end of her life, she started to feel guilty for, like, all the dark stuff she was dabbling in. And she kind of, like, stepped away from it. Um, so, yeah, that's another thing with Twyman. She died very mysteriously. She was found, like, hanged in her garage. So I think it's possible, like, maybe like the demons got to her or she was killed off. Like it could be one of those two things, just like Kathy. Yeah. Like their stories are very similar. Yeah. And it, it's, it's really unfortunate to see where like interest in the occult and uh, mental instability or mental illness sort of overlap. And, you know, with, respect to her family we obviously don't want to speculate too much on that you know because she was sort of a member of this podcast community as well and i know there are people who have been on my show who considered her friends so yeah i definitely want to be respectful and let people sort of find the information that's out there if they they want to find it and obviously your documentary can kind of point people in some different directions but yeah, on the, on the point of uh, mental illness and, and the occult, there seems to be an overlap. You know, we don't need to necessarily use her as an example. Uh, just over and over and over again, you have these, you know, occult authors, even horror authors who, you know, find themselves in strange positions uh, 
whether it's H.P. Lovecraft or Aleister Crowley, even Madame Blavatsky to a certain extent. You know, it doesn't seem to be uh, a life-affirming, uh, longevity-giving uh, career, right? I mean, these people... No, no, it doesn't. End, like, um, Joseph, Campbell has, Joseph Campbell has a quote. It's something like, the mystic swims in the waters that, like, the schizo drowns in. He didn't say schizo. That's just, like, the common, I guess, internet term for it. Uh, and there's truth behind that. And I think that that is a um, pitfall that a lot of uh, truth seekers fall into is they they get like too inquisitive for their own good. Even I've been like guilty of that. But it's at least different from like um, uh, the NPCs where they're like not inquisitive enough, where it's like, where is your curiosity? Right. But some people do take it too far. So it is really finding that mystic energy where you can swim in it and not drown in it. Mm. Yeah, and it, I love how you said that there's this vacuum, you know, that's how I put it, that's growing between the NPC who just isn't curious at all for, I mean, why? I, and then there's this contingency of us, folks like us and similar folks who have this curiosity to want to know, to want to have a, a conclusion possibly, or even just want to have some sort of information to satisfy their curiosity, even if there isn't an end to it. Uh, I think that that's what I'm sort of realizing. Who knows if that'll change, but it seems like there really isn't an end to uh, the mystery. Uh, according to a past guest, Richard Spence, Dr. Richard Spence, I should say, he, he compared it to like a puzzle that has no corner pieces. You know, you're just constantly finding these pieces that match up and it's just taking you further and further and further along, creating this image that you have no, you know, you don't have a box that comes with it that tells you what you're making, right? So history and, and conspiracy kind of fall into this very alluring, uh, well, it's like detective work almost. Now, do you consider yourself like a sleuth to a certain extent? Yeah, I mean, ever since I was in kindergarten, I told my parents I want to be a detective when I get older. And then you wake up and then you uh, grow up and you realize, oh, you got to be like a cop for a while to do that. I'm not going to be a cop. Like, no. <laughs> so then we just like become our own detectives basically. Right. And that's like getting in touch with your inner child is by being inquisitive. That's what children are, man. They're always asking questions. And then we get taught how boring like studying is from our public schools. Then that kills the drive in us to like seek more truth. So, well, and, and yeah, I I mean, do, have you heard of, sorry, what? I was going to say, and I think that's a purposeful to a certain extent so that, you know, some of these, uh, controlling criminals can get away with their crimes, but, uh, you know, the people at the top, so to speak, but go ahead. You had something you're about to ask me. Yeah. Well, I was like looking into this one Gnostic text called like the Pistis Sophia. I think I'm saying that right. Where they categorize people into three different categories. It's the helix, the psychics and the pneumatics. Those are the three different types of incarnations here. The helix, they're just involved with like the material realm. It's like people that are like, oh, just my sports games, getting some food, you know, the entertainment industry. Then there's the psychics. Those are the people that like sort of, you know, they can tell like something's up and they have some questions and they're very like, um promising i guess and then the pneumatic is the one that like they want just want to spread truth everywhere they just want to like understand how the world works and they're the ones that can like help out and lead like the psychics hmm. and the helix they you know i i was a helic i think that we all come to this world as a helic really because what kid questions like oh santa claus is actually fake like we all just accept everything um so some of the helix, I think, turn to psychics, which then turn to pneumatics if you go down this path long enough. 
And it's crazy because it's like I've been delving into the idea of the reincarnation soul trap or anything. And I'm like on the fence with that. And I, you would think that this information is new, but that this information is as old as human society. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I have not seen this before. I'm really glad you're bringing this up. I mean, as much as I know about Gnosticism, I just haven't looked at uh, the Pistis Sophia. And yeah, this is very interesting. I like how you put that, the uh, the helic, the psychic, and the pneumatic. I, I've never heard that dichotomy before, and it definitely, I could see, you know, at a point in my life, I certainly was helic, and then I quickly became uh, psychic, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like I'm getting a little full of myself saying that, but, <laughs> right. but it is to, to that definition, how you put it. Yeah, that's a really neat way to categorize uh, people, and unfortunately, you know, it's a real bummer when people are helix their whole life, you know, and, and I have some, yeah. some, you know, parental figures that are like that and, to a certain and extent. Yeah. And a lot of people will bring up this really like reasonable, like critique of that is like, well, you're just making yourself sound better than other people. And it's like, yeah, I, I mean, you're right. And I hate that. I really hate that. But it's like, what do you expect from like certain groups of people that feel like ostracized by their own society just for like beliefs that they have? Like, this is a normal response to be like, well, you're acting like a high, like an NPC. You know, I'm just like simply questioning my surroundings. And then people who do that get labeled terrible things in our society, like um, uh, white supremacist whistleblowers for just like mentioning stuff like this. Mm. Um yeah, it's just, it's getting crazy. Right. Yeah, no, it, it definitely gets conflated into very awful realms and, and people take, you know, any sort of inquiry into or doubt into authority as extremism. And it's, yeah. It, right. I meant to say uh, dog whistle, the white, white supremacist dog whistle, not whistleblower. I, I messed that up. Yeah, um, no, I get what you meant. Yeah, it's it's definitely, especially with the the budding identity politics they want to put anybody who's like going against the status quo into yeah into that camp which is like very jarring for me honestly Mm -hmm. it's it's really messed up um yeah like people say that you can't really change the world but it's like i feel like i almost do feel like if you become a pneumatic like you really can change the world around you it's like yeah you can't change the world if you're a helic, if you're like operating with such a low like bandwidth that you're just seeing the material things around you. But once I think you open up your consciousness, that's when you can like directly really affect things in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love the way you put that. And it's that's a big part of what I've seen happen with the podcast is through whatever it is I'm doing, people realize I can do that too, you know? And if that is what being a pneumatic is, then I feel proud to be a pneumatic because... Oh, yeah, I consider you a pneumatic for sure. Thank you. Well, then, yeah. And, and I think there's plenty of pneumatics who've inspired me to be in this position too, right? Other podcasters, authors, and so on. But that's what needs to happen is we need to be building each other up and bringing each other from that lower rung to the higher rung so we can sort of... And like, we were talking about this before we went live, how like in the truth community, there is like... I don't want to say like um, drama, but it's like you get into like some researcher and then you realize, oh, my God, they have like this heinous criminal past. And then like another researcher you like, and it's like, oh, crap, that person like owes that person like nine hundred dollars and never paid him back. Mm-hmm. Damn. It's like I didn't know all this stuff. I didn't know. 
And then it's like, that's why I made that recent video where I just look over like spiritual wisdom found on 4chan. Cause I'm like, look, this is good information from an anonymous source. Okay. There's no ego behind it. There's no like um, pushback from like realizing that you don't like this content creator or whatnot. I think that's like a, a good thing to do is look at like anonymous message boards for wisdom. Interesting. See, that's something I've never, I, I don't ever use 4chan. So I'm surprised to hear that. Uh, is there any other sort of selling points you can give me on that? What, well, what's the, the benefit thing is, of using 4chan? Like, well, I even like, I find wisdom in Reddit even, but I think that um, 4chan can find, you can find things where you're really thinking outside the box because it's a little bit more complicated to use. So in that sense, there's a filtering mechanism, which takes out like people that aren't really that interested. You have to be like really interested in looking for truth to even like operate this website effectively. Yeah. And then it's like you got to like kind of um, watch it for a while and kind of see the culture there before you can post anything. You can't just jump on it and start posting. You're just going to get banned because people will tell right away that you don't belong. Right. You have to like actually like be an observer for a while. So it's almost like an initiation ritual, too. I feel like I'm preaching a religion. That sounds really bad. And no, weird. no, no, you're, so not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. This is, this is really interesting because it, you know, 4chan is kind of like, it's been this internet boogeyman for, to a certain group it's, of people. It's like, it's not, it's just people that are like, aren't afraid to say like edgy jokes. Sure. That'll happen. But if you're like spiritually a baby and you can't handle that, then get out. It's right. like, you don't. You don't cross the filtration system because besides that other stuff, I found really interesting, esoteric, apolitical wisdom on there, right. even on poll. Like there's so much like just all it is is just that open free speech platform. Right. So you'll find everything, huh. you know. See, now, and I really appreciate you saying it this way because I never uh, I just never used 4chan because it, it wasn't ever something that seemed like I, I needed to be on uh, not for anyone like judgment of it uh, but then hearing about it through like conspiracy podcasts it just it kind of felt even more confusing like oh well then who's on there like a bunch of trolls you know that's what it sounded like based yeah, well, on yeah and, uh, and maybe like there is like some trolls but it's like if you're a part of the truth community, you, as we move into the future with more and more censorship, we start to value more and more the value of just like free speech and open dialogue. Right. And it really does manifest in its purest form on these anonymous message boards. Well, and that's why I wanted to kind of really sit with this topic for a moment, because I do feel like if we're going to be talking about collective consciousness in the realm of simulation, like 4chan is the simulated version of this like specific collective consciousness. Like, yeah. You know, obviously people who are, are vetted to a certain degree to filter out bots, to filter out corporate interests, to filter out just, you know, normies who want to fill nonsense, you know, <laughs> fill it up with nonsense, you know, to that extent, it kind of, makes it organic right and then yeah. from there that's the thing dude you just hit the nail on the head it's authenticity mm. that's what like so many of us have in common is we just crave in an inauthentic world to see original content again right. like i posted on my instagram story just yesterday i was watching the movie be cool from the early 2000s and i'm like hollywood doesn't make original content like this anymore so there's still that desire in the marketplace for to consume original content, but it's not being provided by Hollywood or Netflix or any of these things, which opens up the market to the internet that anyone can take advantage of. Mm. You know, that's why it's like 2023. So many people I've seen them say this, it's the year of discernment. 
on my channel, I call it the year of the white rabbit. It's where so many people are going to be going down the rabbit hole. Like I've said it and I saw, I swear to God, I've seen three other content creators like say the same thing as me. Not white rabbit, but like the year of discernment kind of thing. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, I've had a friend of the show Donut on or the Donut Factory, um, and he kind of gets into that every, you know, turn of the year. He, I remember last year he was talking about, you know, oh, it's going to be tiger year or whatever. Um, this year's rabbit. And that's immediately what I thought of as Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, the Chinese Zodiac. It's a rabbit. Yeah. yeah and dude, I, it's so weird. I was just in uh, on a, like a little adventure with a couple other podcasters in Pennsylvania. And one of the things I noticed was there was a street in this neighborhood called Rose Valley, um, Rabbit Lane. And then there was another, uh, there was like a what do they call it? A stitch work piece of art where you like pull thread through kind of a flat surface and you make a pattern quilts. Or... Yeah. Well, it was, it was in a frame, but it was very detailed and very fine threads. So there was a lot of detail to, in contrast to it, but it was a rabbit sort of like in the position of the fool from the tarot card in this mm. very odd museum that my podcast friend recluse, uh, AKA Steven Snyder, uh, set us up to go on this tour. And, uh, yeah, just synchronicity had it that I saw some weird rabbit symbolism, uh, along that journey, but yeah, I hope so. I think if, if this year is anything like the past few years, people will be continuing this momentum of, uh, I don't want to say waking up, but so, I mean, it's almost like an apocalypse, right? Not in the sense that there's any yeah, sort and, of... Right, and a revelation sort of thing. Mm, the yeah. true meaning of apocalypse, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Not, not what we've been given by movies or this Armageddon. That's something completely different. Yeah, and it's like, what? yeah, what is the apocalypse going to be except for the majority of humanity waking up to these difficult truths? Mm. It's not going to be doom and gloom because people have been talking about that for decades. Like each new decade, it's like, oh, this will be the end of the world with nuclear Armageddon or whatnot. It never happens. Never. Like only thing, the only thing that changes is like society. And it's like, dude, I've been like, really studying NPCs recently because it's such an interesting like topic for me. Cause at one end it's like, I shouldn't even be looking at this cause it's kind of wrong. But the other, it's like, I know there's truth here. And I came to the conclusion that NPCs are only really um, sort of a bad thing in a society where it's a democracy run by psychopaths, because in that sort of environment, a small group of people can like convince the herd to vote for things that hurt them. But if we lived in an ethical society, I don't even think we'd be able to notice if anyone was an NPC. Either we wouldn't be able to notice it or they just wouldn't even exist. Like they're they're only a problem in our very specific society. I love how you're putting this and it's kind of bringing a lot of new thoughts to mind cuz I initially was turned off and I like how you kind of coached this with oh it's kind of a weird subject. I agree, you know, because you don't want to be someone who says to another person, no, you don't have agency, right? Because we all have agency. Yeah. Even if we're right. a helic, we have the potential to become a pneumatic, right? So, Absolutely. And I know you agree with that. But I love that idea that it's only a byproduct of the society that we're in. And it, it quite possibly could be a byproduct of a different society that works in a different way according to that society. So like, let's say you're in a, you know, 
tribal, rudimentary situation, at least what we understand as rudimentary in the sense that like, you know, Sentinel Island, right? A place where they don't have any contact with the rest of the world because anybody who comes to that island gets speared in the head. Uh, and, and they function, you know, they've been functioning as a tribe as of human beings for thousands of years, uh, albeit with the different means. So it's like, you know, to them, maybe their NPCs are really great because you need someone to just mindlessly yeah. gather firewood or you need someone to mindlessly throw spears at enemies, right? Uh, and that's yeah. how they survive. And it's kind of a good thing. And, and maybe even because of the songs or the culture that they have, everybody knows the same things. So it's not really like a problem to not be unique or not to bring... Yeah, because they live in a moral, ethical society that's still connected to God. It's still connected to Mother Nature. Right. And that's why I say like, it is our doodle do, duty as pneumatics to like change the world for the better, right. not just for ourselves, but, but for the Hylix too. Right. Right. I love that, man. And I, I love how you, you, you mentioned mother nature. And I know I use that example. That's like inherently, you know, in nature, but that's, that's just where my mind goes when I think of what humans should be. It's something more like, well, what we would think of as the Native American approach, you know, this sort of balance with nature, this respect, reverence even for nature, uh, rather than like a sort of domination over nature. And I wonder if, you know, here in America, the sort of Western European mind kind of took over the land of the Native American and now is sort of being uh, imbued with the philosophy of the Native American just through like the transference of energy through the land, you know, as sort of an inevitable kind of transformation, uh, like the land supersedes the the culture, so to speak. And and hopefully that leads to good things, because what I hear from from you and and what your sort of speaking it's very optimistic i love it man it's just kind of brightening my day up over here on this cloudy new england day <laughs> oh nice yeah i'm in ohio it's cloudy too i thought you were in florida for some reason no dr narco longo and juan are in florida and uh, right. the, that's why I thought that. yeah, yeah i do a bunch of shows with them no no I, a lot of people from new england consider florida their second home but not me <laughs> not me <laughs> But uh, yeah. but anyways, yeah, this this kind of braids into Gnosticism, so to speak. Right. I mean, you, you do you think NPCs are something that like is inherently a part of this prison planet, this simulation concept? Like, do you think it, it's a, a reflection of reality or do you think it's sort of like a reflection of this society that we've had this empire that we've had like where where do you think that really comes from because you mentioned like uh, it's a problem in a society run by psychopaths and i'm curious do you think that was managed to be that way almost like farmed yes, into yes. this position i think that our society really pushes people to be npcs and let me give you an example of how i actually act like an npc myself because I believe that NPC is more of a fluid thing than a static on and off switch. I mean, hell, I even see people in the truth community act like NPCs. All these people who say things like, oh, that's simply a psyop. Everything is a psyop without giving any like proof to show that that's true. And then they like put a crown on their head and act like they're the wokest special boy because they just know everything's a psyop. And other people who don't are stupid. 
And it's like, well, you have to have proof to back that up or else you're just being an NPC, you know, or people that will see a YouTuber and be like, oh, he's got the 33 in the back. That means that he's a part of the Illuminati. It's like, dude, you're an idiot. Like, no, <laughs> like you're in the truth community. You got to be like better than this. You got to have your discernment levels up. And it's like our society. The, the, oh, yeah. Here's an example of how I'm an NPC. I believe that one characteristic of an NPC comes to like social media, which is what our society is like based upon right now. And it's like if you... um consume it more than you use it that's npc like behavior i think you got to flip the ratio around which is something i struggle with i definitely i think consume social media more than i use it to bring like my message out there or just express myself like this what really woke me up to this is looking at like how people used to talk to each other on aim when the internet first came about Dude, they would just use it to be like hey are you going to be at the park at three o'clock yes okay see you there then they were done they weren't just sitting on the internet all day looking at things. They would use it to actually help communicate with other people. Right. Well, and that's, that's, I'm so, it's so funny. Like you, the way you're bringing that up, like it's bringing so many memories to mind. Cause I was a part of that AIM generation, like for a few years. And then we all got cell phones and that's how I use my cell phone. Like I was never like spending like all night talking to my buddies. It was like, if you go back and look at like my friends from high school and our text conversations, it's all like, yo, what are you doing? You free? Yes. Where do you want to meet? Okay. See you then this time. And that's it. Like that's, it's just all just like, you know, planning, uh, actual in-person hangouts. And now that we're all kind of separated by distance, we don't have that backbone of like uh, internet talking to like keep our relationship going. So it's it's kind of in the reverse where I don't talk to them as much unless it's in person. And in those cases, it's like, whoa, like we're getting into all the things that we love to talk about and it's fun. And, you know, and it's definitely a byproduct of like being in this generation. I don't know how much older or younger than you. I'm 31. How old are you? I'm 28. So we're around the same generation. You're a little older than me. And yeah, I think we are part of that generation that started with the more analog. We grew up familiar with more of like the analog and now we're kind of in the full digital. Like we had still some remnants of analog when we were kids, you know, and even teenagers. Now it's totally digital. Yeah. And it's like you have to understand that Gen Z is a totally different generation than the millennials because of the environment that they were brought brought up around. Mm. And it's like I and I'm still struggling to be able to tell if like Gen Z is more awake or less awake than millennials. It seems like the Gen Z, they wake up a lot faster than the millennials. Like like people like you and me, it took us a long time to go through the stages of like Hylic to Psychic to whatever. Mm. But like Gen Z, they go from like Hylic to pneumatic within a matter of like a week. Hmm. It's like we don't have time to mess around. OK, we're Zoomers. It's like everything <laughs> they do is so quick. It's fast. Huh. Yeah. Because it's like they don't have time to mess around like we did. Like things are about to change really quickly. So it's almost like a survival mechanism with their environment where they like learn things super quick. Let's get into that. How do you think things are going to be changing very quickly? I mean, not that I disagree, but I'm curious, like, where do you th yeah. see things changing? So I brought up in my um, year of the white rabbit 2023 prediction video that I, I pointed to a few events that I believe could start to make people rethink the nature of their reality. Like one of them being like the Russo Ukraine war. Um, it's a it's a possibility that I think Russia might come out on top in this conflict. 
uh, from the intel I'm getting. And if that were to happen after the average person has been inundated with this idea that they have no chance in hell, Ukraine is 100 percent going to win. And then they see that that's not the case. They're going to question everything just because of like how hard hitting the propaganda is. And I've been watching the conflict very closely. Uh, Solidar was an area where Ukrainians were saying there's no way they have no chance in hell of taking over the city. They just overtook that city yesterday. And I watch people on both sides of the aisle. Um, I watch the the people who believe Russia will will win and the people who think Ukraine, Ukraine will win. And even the people on the Ukrainian side, they when they were making videos about this yesterday, they're like, oh, Russia propaganda is having a field day today. It's like even they had to admit that things aren't looking so great. Yeah. And I'm it's see- like, yeah, I'm seeing that here now. The British Ministry of Defense uh According to them, they said Russian forces were likely in control of the city in January 2023. Yeah, they are. See, this is the thing, though, is from what I've heard, I hope you agree or maybe you you have some information to enlighten me on this. But it seems like this is just another proxy war. And we have, you know, American special forces and British special forces and all these other nation special forces fighting under the guise of Ukrainians like they'll, you know, they just don the mm-hmm. ukrainian uniform and have maybe a couple ukrainian soldiers with them yeah but for yeah the i've seen a part, few videos of english english speakers in ukrainian uniforms going around doing drills over mm-hmm. over in ukraine so there's a lot of them there's a lot of foreign fighters and i hear that the russians aren't as nice to the foreign fighters that they find compared to ukrainians like if a russian finds you and you're part of the foreign legion they'll show no more they're just going to kill you right it's like they're like you have no part in this war what are you doing here right well and then that's that's you know, as grim as that is, I kind of agree with that. It's like, you know, right. for so long we've had these, like, international interests meddling in countries' affairs. It's, it's happened in our country. It's, it's like, how can, how can we judge Russia when they're literally – Russia is literally fighting for their right to exist. Right. But when the United States have been in wars recently, we're fighting for, like, foreign energy interests and other countries' interests, who I won't even mention. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, Sorry, what? you can mention it, Israel and, and England yeah. and, and Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then that's the thing that people don't like to talk about with England is they created Israel. Like there's this whole, you know, uh, crypto interest in, you know, the occult with politics. And, you know, Israel is like a huge indicator of that because, you know, of the whole Zionism thing. And then yeah. that goes down a whole rabbit hole. I don't know if you've covered much of that on your YouTube channel, but, uh, you know, I don't blame you if you don't, because that's another one of those topics where people will just jump all over you and say you're dog whistling. It's insane. Like, I, I have a nice, like, Telegram group. Uh, you can join in the description of any of my videos. And I got Jewish people on there who, like, love my show. And I'm like, yeah, like, I, I live in a very prominent Jewish community where I'm at right now. I've never met one I don't like. But what I will do is I'm going to criticize the ADL and I'm going to criticize the amount of money we give to Israel. Okay? Like that makes logical sense and it doesn't make me a hater. You know what I mean? Right, right. And that this is, again, this is all the identity politics trying to get into uh, the realm of opinion making and to take the steam out of what could become political movements that lead to 
uh, rational, you know, uh, diplomacy. This is not rational diplomacy when you have, you know, these foreign interests outweighing our own interests and getting, you know, our soldiers here in the United States killed in these wars. I mean, even the soldiers of fortune. I mean, there's all these mercenaries now that are coming out of the United States. I'm sure that's not anything new, but it's it definitely puts a whole new perspective on how other countries see us and takes the 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 steam out of us being, oh, we're the best. We're the greatest country. I mean, I hope people internationally who listen to my show, because I know I have some like Canadian, Australian and European listeners. Uh, I hope they don't think of me as a dumb American because I'm I've always felt like, you know, why are we we being so like nationalistic and now I realize that that's a part of this psyop. It's a part of this MK Ultra conditioning to get us to to go along with these foreign wars, and then they yeah. jostle it in the other direction when it suits their agenda. You see that happening with the left, where you know, oh, now we want to take away everybody's guns because America's been this big bad bully and big bad white men have been shooting too many people. It's like, no, 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 hold on a second. It's not that simple either, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I don't even think that the United States, I think they realize this, that they couldn't even win a land war against Russia. I mean, think about it. The United States just humiliated itself losing to Afghanistan, the graveyard of empires, as they call it. Do you think they'd win a land war against Russia if they can't even beat Afghanistan? They know that the answer is hell no. So NATO in the United States, they know that there's nothing they can do, even if they wanted to. Mm. They know they would lose. Mm. Well, and and that calls into question like what are they doing with all this uh alien technology so to speak all this weird black budget money that we're spending all this money on like what is that really for uh what are these wars really for if we're losing uh, at such a devastating rate i mean to me i i don't think afghanistan was ever about winning i think it was just about making sure we had a, a good steady supply of opium coming into the country i mean you know, I'm sure you've looked into all the the stuff with the drug trade and how that's being sort of uh, green lighted by these same military and special forces powers. But uh, but yeah, I, you know, I don't want to be over here just like stomping on America the whole time because I do love this country yeah. to a certain extent. But we can, oh, yeah, we, we can love, love the country, our- but we hate the parasites that have taken it over. Right. That's the difference. Because like I have a lefty friend and he's like, you know, I find it just so ironic that all these like far right people, they like bash on America. But I thought they were the most patriotic ones. I thought they loved their country. And it's like, yeah, they do. But like there's been a foreign infiltration here and the news media is trying to tell us that our enemy is Russia or our enemy is China. Like, no, I've said this in my videos. Our enemy is the domestic threats that we are facing here right now. Mm. The WEF included in that. Right. Right. Well, and also this. You know, that same mindset that compels people to think that people on the far right are these terrorists who are going to, you know, stir up all this domestic terror and we need to keep a closer watch on everybody. It's like, that's not patriotism. That's not what people on the far right are are after. You know, they don't want, uh, you know, less freedom for people. Dude, people on the far right are hippies. All they want is to be in their isolated like farms with their families, like growing a family and growing their own vegetables and being left alone. The neocons are the ones that believe in might versus 
is might um, might is greater than right. Might is right. Sorry, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. It's like I feel like people on the outside conflict the two. Right. They see someone on the far right and they think of them as a neocon, mm. where it's going to be further from the truth. Right. Well, and the neocons, they're happy to put on the the mask of uh, ultra liberal if it suits their agenda. You know, they right. like, and they're working arm in arm with those people to to push forward this agenda that seems to only serve uh, corporate interests and military interests and of course the elite who are at the top of all of those structures so yeah and banking of course is involved in that too but when it comes to you know where we started with this conversation do you think that the you know sex trafficking and all of that is purely financial uh, or do you think like things like sex trafficking and drug trafficking have uh, an occult motivation? Do you think that they're maybe trying to degrade us so that we stay stuck in this Gnostic prison planet or even become more like NPCs? Do you think that this is maybe uh, like a, a part of a sort of mass entrancement uh, of the people to, to become their lower selves rather than their higher selves? Yes, yes. And it, it depends on who's involved with the with the trafficking and whatnot. But I think we can just look at overall, our society is trying to normalize humiliating the masses. A perfect example of this is Mr. Beast in his YouTube channel. It is the highest viewed YouTube channel on earth. And it's completely centered around this guy who has way too much money from YouTube ad re revenue. And he humiliates people for fiat paper money. Huh. Like he makes them do the most like disgusting and like terrible things. And it shows like, how, and like, how do you think like a little kid, because his audience is little children. How do you think they see like their father who like struggles every day just to bring home $50,000 a month. Then they see on the TV, some dude who humiliated themselves and got like 400,000 right away. It's like humiliating the child's like family in a way, wow. you know? Yeah, no, it's. That's really bleak, man. I had never even looked into that guy because uh, I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of uh, ignorant when it comes to like the whole YouTube world, but I have yeah. seen him on uh, Joe Rogan. Like I didn't watch the interview, but I saw him like his name listed. And I was like, Mr. Beast, like this is a, I know a and this is name. Just look at his name. Yeah. Alone. As a kid's <laughs> influencer too. Nonetheless, like Mr. Beast, it's just such a, uh, and he, he's not like a, a, the type of person you'd see in Hollywood either. He kind of just looks like one of these schlubby gamer types, right? You know, no offense. I'm not trying to be like superficial or anything, but it, it definitely feels like an opportunist who's being, you know, pro, like leveled up to the point of fame because of how like depraved he, he naturally just is on his own. Like it doesn't seem like he was planted there, but that's what they can do with YouTube is any sort of mildly depraved person is the next Kardashian if they want them to be. Yeah. And I heard someone say that like he performs almost like these dark magic rituals to get where he's at. Like uh, before he became famous, he repeated the words Logan Paul. I think it was like a million times or something. He just went Logan Paul, Logan Paul, Logan Paul. And he filmed it all. And it took like over a day and he took no bathroom breaks or anything, no food breaks. Huh. And it's like that's like a black ritual because it's black magic ritual. Because a year after that, he was on Logan Paul's podcast right. and he was a nobody when he made that video. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in a certain extent, you could use something like that 
for benevolent purposes. Obviously, that's pretty deranged to go and repeat someone's name a million times. But let's say if you were, you know, a Buddhist monk and you repeated the word world peace or something, you know, a million times, that could have a equally uh, powerful, you know, reaction maybe yeah, with a different I, result. Yeah, and, and that's something that I've said before on my channel. Like one of the issues with the world we live in is like, the dark people here are the ones taking advantage of their power while the good people aren't doing that. Right. So we, in, the, in these coming years, it's like the good people need to step into their power. Well, it's almost like religion, and I don't mean to pick on any one religion because I think most religions are guilty of this to a certain extent, pacifies that in people by giving them this idea that, oh, you're just small in comparison to the almighty benevolence who's going to take care of it for you. Just have faith in that. You know, whereas we sort of need to have a balance between faith in ourselves to, to follow that guidance that we're given from that moral authority. If we choose to believe in that, I, I believe in it to a certain extent. I believe in a creator. And I think most people that come on my show do for the most part. But uh, that's not like a qualification I, I level to my guests. But it's just like it just seems like a rational thing to come to the conclusion of especially in the in the face of this like really bleak scientism that they seem to be promoting uh, in academia and in the media this like sort of like oh screw it man like you only live once attitude that really just leaves us uh ruined generations later and that's why again like going back to the native american consciousness which is something I always have learned much from, uh, you know, they thought seven generations ahead. And if we thought seven generations ahead, these types of things that we're discussing wouldn't be, you know, culturally feasible. They would be shut down and people would realize, no, this is harming us in the long run, you know, but people aren't concerned with that. They're concerned with the bottom dollar. They're concerned with the profit margin. They're concerned with, you know, how good they look for their uh, community or for keeping up with the Joneses and all that. Yeah. I've been reading David Icke's new book, The Trap, where he talks about perception is what dictates reality. And you're right. You hit the nail on the head when you said that it's a nightmare, this scientism religion that we all live under now. And it's like before that it was uh, the Catholic Church, but at least the Catholic Church believed in a creator, believed right. in God. Right. Yeah. Even though they did terrible things, but it's like, OK, the scientism church is doing unbelievably horrible things to people too just like the catholic church but a lot of people don't want to have that conversation i would say the scientism cult has done worse things to humanity than the catholic church did just because they can operate at such a larger scale right and, and it's well, you see yeah. all the good works that were done by the people who went against the system within the catholic church you see so less so much less of that with right. scientists because there's that academic uh and financial imperative to go along with the status quo yeah. whereas the these church... scientific priests these scientific priests they're not smart like look at uh patrick bet david did an interview with neil degrasse tyson yesterday neil degrasse taught neil degrasse tyson looked like an idiot patrick david swept the floor with him and he was patrick was cool as a cucumber the whole time and tyson was like flailing and screaming because like his belief system was being questioned oh. and that patrick had the audacity to question the science right yeah it's 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 amazing to see him uh bill nye and these other like you know quack scientists 
talking heads who go around like promoting science as if it's this religion, you know, they go to all and do all these talks with people who are like happy to sit around and circle jerk on this like fantasy that they've created. And, you know, it fits into a lot of the sci-fi fiction that's was definitely very popular in the sort of early and mid 20th century. But yeah, that's really crested now. I think, you know, and, and earlier I was trying to say with, the church, at least people had the authority of God that they would sort of put above a priest if they were righteous enough to follow that. Whereas mm-hmm. with science, there's none of that. Like there's no scientists that seem to be like stepping out in the name of science when that could be something that's equally noble. I mean, there's so many yeah. great scientists. Like I think that like living under if a proper like christian kind of society it makes the people like strong it's like we believe in god we're going to work hard in the fields and build our families and stuff and then the religion of science just makes people weak it's like just take the pills watch the pornos just stay inside and trust bill nye the science guy and remind me of the movie this is going to sound so random i watched the movie babe the other day did you watch that as a kid yes the pig right yes the pig and the farmer (laughs) had uh was using his sheep dogs to herd the sheep uh but the issue with that is the sheep dog can bite the hand that feeds you so one of his sheep dogs bit the farmer's hand and he didn't like that so he instead started using the pig to like corral the sheep and everything and that's what the controllers the farmers of this realm prefer to have these people that they can use that don't have the power to fight back against them That's why if you're a controller, it's way better to have a society ruled by scientism than for it to be ruled by like Catholicism or any Abrahamic religion, because these people are so much easier to control. Yeah, it's like the what is it? Animal farm where the pigs are like this, like kind of, uh, you know, political class of like full of themselves aristocrats. And I would love to see an iteration of that book where, you know, they're like this scientism priest class. These like (laughs) gross looking pigs in robes. It's almost like eyes wide shut kind of, uh, or that, that episode of the twilight zone where everyone looks like a pig and the one person that looks like a human is considered like the ugliest. Have you ever seen that episode of the twilight zone? I think, I don't know if I did. Everybody has like a pig nose and this one person just looks like a normal human and they're all like, oh, like they're treating them like a pariah. It's sort of like, you know, yeah, Dude, it's, it's just tropey, yeah. but it's. But that, that's that one quote I heard recently where um, this one person from forever ago was like, there's going to come a time when the majority of people are crazy and they'll think that the sane man is mad. Right. And they'll say, you're not like us. Well, and, and it's like, that's like the world we're at now. That's exactly what that Twilight Zone episode was trying to, you know, point people towards. And it's crazy how, you know, that era of media prophesized and some people even say predictively programmed us into this spot we're in now. I would say maybe Rod Serling was more of a benevolent influence in that. But uh, but yeah, we certainly see like. Aldous Huxley and Charlie Chaplin. I mean, I just recently learned that Charlie Chaplin was a rapist who had several uh, underaged women as wife, uh, as a wife. He had like three or four marriages in his life. All of his, you know, women that he wed 
were under the age of 18 when he started a relationship with them. And so many people kind of followed in that industry uh, as like, oh, Chaplin's the best, you know, he's the greatest inspiration. Look at how these people are now. I mean, from uh, George Lucas to all these Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. I mean, there's all these allegations against these people and nothing seems to come about it. I mean, unless you're sort of like a C-list celebrity or like a comedian or somebody who's kind of disposed Dispensable. Uh, they don't seem to really get in trouble for this kind of stuff. It's almost like it's a part of the industry. It's built into the the industry, and it, it makes yeah. you question. You know, what are they programming into people with this? I know, and that's know? why it's like they can't allow it to unravel. Because even though, sure, there's lots of Hollywood celebs who aren't in on it. The thing is, they know about it, and if this thing hits like the light of day, it's going to be like, wow innocent celebrity you knew about this it didn't say anything you're a monster too right. and it would take down like their whole hollywood control structure and actually yeah i posted this on my instagram recently too saying that like one of the reasons why there's no good original content anymore is because the creators are more focused on social engineering than they are on story building right that's why it sucks right right and that, it's so obvious when you look at how they all use the same archetypes and these archetypes if we're going to go with what Joseph Campbell taught us and George Lucas basically based all of his kind of stories with Star Wars on kind of the Joseph Campbell research that he was obsessed with. You know, they're just playing off of these subconscious archetypes. All of it is a result yes. of, of this kind of psychology of the late 19th and early 20th century. Edward Bernays, whose nephew started Netflix. I mean, he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. And, and Sigmund Freud's research, for folks who don't know this, I mean, a lot of it's been debunked and considered kind of quackery at this point. But it had a, you know, a... a a perversion to it that I think was kind of telling now in hindsight, like, you know, Freud's obsession with like sexuality with children and like the sort of weirdness that goes along with those realms. I mean, you know, Albert Kinsey and all those guys, it's, it's really strange, you know, this clinical uh, criminal, you know, overlap where, you know, doctors become uh, criminals and it's totally legal and looked. Yeah, I know. I saw a meme today that showed that one of the board of directors for um, the FDA is now one of the board of directors for Pfizer. Like there should be a law making that illegal. Yeah. Yeah, earlier what you were saying too is there's a lot of like underlying psychology in these mainstream movies. Like see how similar the force is to source. It's like, yeah, we can all tap into like source God energy right. to empower us. Right. Um, well, and, and, and then the yeah, subtle difference too of source being like kind of something you're in a benevolent relationship and force being something that you're. Oh, like a, yeah. So they inverted it, which yeah, they always do. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I did. I never thought of that until now. So thank you, Brett, for kind of this is this <laughs> is the magic of the podcast. I don't. I didn't want to yeah. pat myself on the back before when you're talking about the authenticity thing, but. That's why podcasting is so much more popular than this stuff now, because people hear us talking and they know we didn't script this. I haven't even met Brett before we right. record like this is as natural as it gets and I'm having a great time. So like, you know, that's infectious. People hear this. They're like, oh, shoot, I want to have conversations like this. And next thing you know, they start a podcast. Right. So yeah. I, I don't I don't think there's any way that this can bubble the way people may predict it 
to bubble and the way like the movie industry yeah, and the music like, industry I swear, dude i've inspired i've inspired other people to start podcasts too and it's like when these same people they watch like a hollywood movie based around horror and nonsense do you think it inspires them to do anything of course not yeah no maybe to be afraid i mean i definitely you know uh <laughs> i don't i don't know how i feel about this but like lately i've been watching movies that are kind of bordering on the realm of horror because uh i like horror i'm not gonna lie well i i I never liked it when i was a kid because my cousins like forced me to watch chucky right when i was too young to watch chucky i don't like slasher i don't like gratuitous blood or anything but like even in ghost movies i actually do like those well and that's what i'm kind of getting to is i got turned off to the horror stuff because of that experience as a kid but now i'm starting to come back to it with like uh like a vaguely detective interest you know like we were talking about before like what are these movies really trying to do and i i like this movie in the mouth of madness that uh my friend recluse recommended and uh yeah it just really it touches on a lot of the themes we're talking about today if you haven't seen it before i recommend watching it in the mouth of madness it, it involves like this horror author who's kind of writing the 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 book that this main character is involved in and doesn't even realize it until the end and i'm already giving away too much but yeah that sounds like a psychological thriller which is like my favorite right well and that's that's the kind of thing that i think cinema could be uh good for is like giving us that experience uh and and teaching us a lesson that maybe we could have only learned through direct life experience and you know that's kind of a dangerous way to learn yeah and it's like that was back when hollywood actually had like good practical messages now the message is it's wonderful if you're gay and it's like okay cool like do you have anything else besides that to like try to tell people right right come on right and and then it's not even about inclusivity it's almost like this inverted uh like right. showboating you know yeah it's like these people are like oh you hate the movie because it has queer characters and minorities it's like no i hate it because it sucks and then then i turn it around it's like the only reason you pretend to like it is because it has the queer characters and minorities but you don't like it either well dude. and, and you like, know and come on it's it's funny i was uh i was listening to a podcast last night and this guy sydney gant he's a comedian he's a black man he was talking about how he his son he doesn't use the word pride with his son because he as a black man he's like that's racist like you look at the definition of pride like the four definitions of pride and it's literally like designed to make people pacified and he had a more nuanced i I know what he means because that's teaching people to be proud in something that you've never accomplished like i never accomplished being white so having white pride is absurd right like i'm proud of like starting my own tree service business i'm proud of things i've physically done right right and that's the other thing if your sexuality is yours by birth and you totally believe in that identity it is absurd to have this like pride to the point where you're dancing in the streets and 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 getting all this attention every year and it's like come on like that i'm not a an expert in this i don't want to offend any of my listeners because i know my listeners come from all walks of life but i do 
disagree with that, you know, showboating. Dude, I'm, I'm so friends with I'm friends with that. gay guys. I'm friends with gay guys, and they hate pride parades more than I do. They're like, <laughs> you no, know, gay used to be kind of like punk and cool. It used to be like for the dredges outside of polite society, and now they've made it corporate. Yeah. Now it's like super lame. And right. it's like the the gay bars they go to aren't edgy or fun anymore. In fact, there are no gay bars anymore because it's they're all accepted, so they've all just melded together. Right. And I'm not saying that that was like good or bad, but I'm just. Yeah, no, saying and, their point of view. And it's it's worth talking about because so much of this is not even considered like uh appropriate in these social justice warrior circles. They're just like they'll look down at you if you have any sort of opinion. Yeah, but it's like they're angry because you're not making homosexuality corporatized. It's like that's <laughs> why they're mad, which is insane. It's like they're I've been looking at them as like real individuals. They're just like, why aren't you fitting into the homogenous straw man that I want you to be? Right. Right. And that's that's I think overall this compartment compartmentalization, this categorization is ultimately, you know, what's creating those NPCs too, like to a certain extent. It's like this sorting of society. It's like you're not a human being, you're this type of thing that, you know, has uh the ability to mate or done you know, like this nonsense verbiage that they're using now. Uh but yeah, man, it's it's definitely straight out of a sci fi fiction uh novel, you know, this sort of like transhumanism blurring the lines between genders and uh, sexual identities. I mean, I think really that's what this is preparing people for this like next phase this like you know techno fantasy of humans being integrated with machines do you think that we're you know in danger of that do you think that's just a whole bunch of like propaganda to get us to kind of fear the the technocrats i mean it's yes it's yes and no because first off a, a computer a robot will never take my job and my main job is like tree removal so like climbing the tree figuring out what branches i need to cut and every single job is completely different there's infinite variables and you cannot program a robot to do infinite variables Maybe if it has some sort of machine learning technology, but humans aren't going to trust them to like care for their house like they would a human. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's there's going to be so many jobs in society robots can never do. Um, they could do like chat GPT. You know about this, right? Is this the where, programmer stuff where they're going to replace all the programmers? Yeah, it's like you can like tell a, a robot to like make some sort of code. It'll do it. You can tell a um, these robots to like, copy a new york times opinion piece and they can do it perfectly where they sound like a human uh children in school are using chat gpt to just write them essays they just put in a little prompt and then it just writes this like awesome essay for them right Jeez. off the bat so they don't even have to do work anymore oh, but it's like even like our thinking can be outsourced to like the machine right but it still can't replace like valuable like skills that society needs to function like to build um to build a beautiful home filled with love like a robot can never do that mm. yeah it can only it can only fulfill this like secondary desire it's it's never gonna replace our primary uh human objectives you know i mean this is something that that computers can't emulate and i i really you know I feel for the people who have these kind of gig jobs where you could be replaced by a computer. But I think if you are in a position like that, you know, it's just one more reason to 
broaden your skill set and become more self-sufficient, you know, like yourself, Brett. I mean, obviously having a a job that uh, involves working with trees, like you're never going to have a shortage of work. Like trees are going to keep growing uh, unless there's some incredibly, you know, bizarre disaster. There's no way that you're going to like, you know, run out of business. Trees are just going to keep growing and people are going to have problems with tree branches growing too close to their house or whatever. Right. And I, I, I commend you for, for, using that analogy because I kind of feel like, you know, maybe I should do the same myself. And I'm really grateful that, uh, my friend Rob, shout out to Rob, uh, who listens to the show. He lives near me and he's had me come along with him for some stonemason rework. And, uh, I'm starting to, you know, get my hands dirty with that. I, I don't know that much, but it's a start, you know? And if I, if for whatever reason, my podcast goes under, I could always fall back on, you know, tiling people's floors, you know, and that, that is never going to be a shortage of that kind of work either. And, you know, Maybe even in a apocalyptic um, Armageddon kind of situation, I should probably learn how to, uh, you know, yeah. go ahead. Because if you're talking about like controversial subjects, it's very easy for the regime to locate you and take you out on the internet. Mm. So that's why if you're like in this community, you need to have, I think, like another set of skills to like put money on the table. Not that this is all about money or anything like that. But just like you got to have backup plans in the current modern world we live in. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I feel that 100 percent. I'm kind of uh, in a different position here with my <laughs> podcast gigs and whatnot and the connections I've made. But still, that that is all very uh, temporary to a certain extent if you look at it over a certain timeline. So. Yeah, please, folks, buy my book, uh, buy my little PDF so I can keep writing and maybe be a, <laughs> be a, an author. And, and oh, I didn't know you had so, a book. What's your book on? Yeah, it's it's more of a zine than anything. It's only 12 pages, but we have two editions, and uh, it's called The Synchromystic Exploration of the Ever-Expanding Now. Not uh, a mouthful if you use the acronym SCENE, uh, and, and that's kind of like my take on... Uh, Randonauts and Discordian kind of synchromysticism where you sort of use little like tricks to explore, right? And and where I was introduced to this concept was through that app Randonautica and they would like use your GPS on your phone to take you to a different location. And if you followed up on that location, you know, take you to another one and another one. And a lot of people would report like, synchronicities and all these strange things occurring that connected to their life. And part of me really loved that. But another part of me was paranoid about some app that I didn't know who created it, like having control of, of like these synchronicities to a certain extent. So I'm like, well, there's got to be a way for people to do that organically without any interference from their phone. And, uh, and I kind of just put it together in this little booklet and people have had a, a, definitely had enough time to experiment and I've had some people get back to me and tell me about what's happened to them during their little like uh synchromystic excursions I myself have discovered a couple things but what I found is it all goes in line with uh what I was already seeking to find so to speak like it wasn't like something new that came to me uh it was actually something that was fitting with what I was already looking for which you know if people are uh, looking for things, this could be helpful, a helpful tool to, to get you to find that next step. So 
uh, that's what the second book is about is what we actually found. So, uh, yeah, are you like me where you just have synchronicities all the time? I think that's, it's, it's something that happened, you know, a while ago, but podcasting accelerated it. And I wonder if you've had that same experience since hosting your show. Do you think it's, it's, it's something that like clicked up or became more frequent when you started doing this type of thing? Well, it's something that becomes more frequent when a person steps into their dharma, like mm. their duty, okay. like what they're supposed to be doing. It's the same thing with love. Like when you're really in love, like it gives you so much energy, you're energized. And it's the same thing with your dharma. If you're doing your work that you're supposed to be doing, it just innately gives you all this energetic energy. Mm. And with that energy, you're able to see like more synchronicities that the universe is feeding you. Now, here's a hard question for you then, Brett. Do you think that this is something that comes naturally to everyone do you think there's a way that someone if they aren't experiencing well, their dharma could come to find it the thing is it doesn't happen to a lot of people but that's a product of this society because our society is showing people oh we just sit on the tv all day when you get home working your really annoying like wage job and it's like when are people gonna have time to find their true dharma if they're just trying to survive and put food on the table and they're, they're distracted by all these like really honestly like wonderful entertainment systems that are giving them a lot of stimuli they're very alluring so it's like we all have that capability inside us but we're playing on hard mode because of the way our society is functioning yeah that's a good analogy playing on hard mode now let's say for the folks listening to this show because they're already kind of in a higher level, right? They, they're playing on hard mode. They're probably past like the first 10, 15 levels if they're listening to a show like this or a show like yours. So uh, let's say maybe they're listening to this show and they, they still don't feel like they got their dharma yet. Do you have any maybe pointers? Like what happened to you when you were sort of, because uh, you said that very quickly like I, I can tell you've thought of this before so did you necessarily recognize like oh this is my dharma right away or was it something that came to you sort of in hindsight well I believe that in order to find your dharma you have to be so miserable that it pushes you to actually do it <laughs> yes like, I was working like in an office job which like I could tell the people around me like they weren't happy but they could tolerate it mm. I couldn't even tolerate it like not to sound dark, but I'm like, I would literally rather kill myself than fail at finding something different where I'm empowered mm. and I'm like my own boss. Right. So that, you have that, to get like, to that point where you hate your life enough, I think, to find your dharma in the modern age. Because like we used to have coming of age ceremonies and stuff and more helpers to like guide you on the right path. But we live in a society where like people are guiding you like unconsciously, usually down really self-destructive paths. Like whether it be like when you're a young kid and your friends want you to go out drinking all the time or people tell you to like, oh, just get a bullshit liberal arts degree and then work for some office somewhere. Like there's so many bad paths people are being taken down. Yeah, dude, I'm 100 percent with that. I'm glad you brought that up. It kind of reminds me of something that I would tell my friends that, you know, we'd kind of get into this type of conversation kind of motivating each other this was before i started the podcast and you know i was the only one driving this kind of thing and it kind of demotivated me but what i would tell people is like dude it's like a pendulum swing you pendulum swing into a low point and there's enough momentum there to get you into a higher point than you've ever been because you were just swinging to the lower point, the, the lowest point you've ever been. That, that momentum is there. And eventually you get to a point where that high point 
sort of you stay on that frequency and you might pendulum, but your pendulum swings aren't as, you know, severe and you're in a different frequency line. So things aren't going to be taking you to those lower, lower frequencies. Yeah, that's why I've said and I've heard other people say this, too. Like our country has gone super far to the left. And in the Kabbalion, they talk about, as you said, the law of the pendulum. Mm. And that means that I think the pendulum is going to swing like super like, I guess, some manifestation of far right mm. is going to happen now. Oh, yeah. Like it's inevitable because of the law of the pendulum, which I do believe is legitimate. Well, and that's the tricky thing with conspiracy theories. Like so much of like the conspiracy theories that built this alternative community came from the opinion of the left and then from the right and then yes. from the left because their reactions to the, the swinging pendulum of contemporary mm-hmm. politics, right? So people who have this sort of like novice entry into conspiracy around QAnon who confuse all conspiracies with far right, you know, they just don't have the experience of like knowing about weather underground or cartel yeah, pro they, they don't understand that like i think that the modern day truth movement started with occupy wall street mm-hmm. and occupy wall street was mostly like a lefty thing right and then a lot of the people that are still in the truth movement today that's where their roots come from mm-hmm. occupy wall street and like saying george bush is terrible and stuff right right and i i mean i'm sure there would be people older than us who would push the needle back further from Occupy Wall Street to like 9-11 truth movement and then even further back to, you know, stuff before our lifetime. But I agree with you. I think for my part in my life, Occupy Wall Street, when they came to New Haven, Connecticut and occupied the green, like that was also around this time in my life where so many things were changing and I was learning about new things. So I do use that as like a a milestone, but it also kind of woke me up to how easily people could be swayed to do something that necessarily didn't pan out because what I saw at that Occupy Wall Street was a lot of just like camps, like tent camps and a lot of homeless people and drug use. And, you know, those campsites haven't gone away. Like ever since Occupy Wall Street, we've had more and more of these tent cities throughout cities and it's all just homeless people. And I'm sure some of them started off as like college age students who were like, screw the system, man, I'm just going to go and live like this for, for, you know, and probably for the last 10 years they've lived like that. And it's kind of sad to think like, you know, they could have been productive members of society with those revolutionary sort of philosophies. And in in a more productive way could have changed the system, you know, instead of just radicalizing and, and, and fragmenting themselves into a position where they're totally unproductive, you know? Yeah. I mean, that just goes into the idea that our, our culture no longer values masculinity. Like everyone is raised as though like the only correct way to live is through the feminine perspective. And that's not the case where like all our teachers are women. uh, Our fathers are working too much and they couldn't like, uh, well, maybe I'm going too d- deep down a, a hole there. No, I think a lot but, of people yeah. have that experience, brother. I, and I, you know, I myself, my father worked, you know, seven days a week. Like, you know, so that was true for, and I saw him two of those days because I was working right there with him from the age of like, you know, seven or eight, like landscaping and stuff. So, you know, I kind of got a perspective with my father 
that was a little different, although I wasn't the best uh, model worker. My dad didn't always have the best uh, little employee on his hands. I, I learned a lot of shit from him that I'm sure guys whose fathers are like doctors or lawyers in jobs where they can't bring their son to work and have them learn a thing or two, you know, they just go along with whatever their school is imposing on them or maybe their stay-at-home mom or whatever other influence they have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like raised by like a female nanny as a kid. It's like, yeah, it's like I had no, not to bash on anyone, but like, I just feel like I could have been taught more skills right as a young man. You know what I mean? And like, I don't see any, almost any young men who were taught skills as as a kid. Right. Now that community that you, were you sort of more affluent? Like, I mean, raised by a nanny, your parents were working all the time. Yeah, they were both working. It was like, I guess, like upper middle class, not like super right. rich. Right. Um, but it's like, and I feel bad because it's like, I said, oh, I, I got a BS college, liberal arts degree when I should have done something else. But like, I can't say that I know that because statistically speaking, like if you have a college degree, even though I'm in the trades now, like people with a college degree do like in the long run, make more money. So it's like, I don't want to talk anyone out of not going to college because mm. it actually could be beneficial for a lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm certainly someone who's talked people out of going to college, I'm sure, because my experience has been like since I dropped out, my life has gone better than it could have. At least that's all I know. Right. So, you know, I'm more of uh, that perspective of of relying on myself and, and it hasn't you know, my means are, are, aren't so grand. I mean, I have enough to buy all these crazy books you see behind me and this podcast equipment, but yeah, for the most part, uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's a position that we're both in where you're, you're like, yeah, I don't want to you know encourage anybody to do anything, but you can't negate the fact that you're an inspiring person when you start talking about the things you're talking about. You've inspired me in this conversation with some of the ideas you've had. And I hope I've done the same. And I know from people who've gotten back to me who listen to the show, you know, I've inspired or influenced them to do stuff. So we can't negate the fact that we're kind of complicit in influencing people. But yeah, people need to need to have the backbone to fucking make their own decisions. And I feel like the school system hasn't taught people that and that's why we even have this reflex of like well don't listen to me because i don't want to be <laughs> i know and your... i've been thinking about this lately where i'm like oh there's actually people out here who like listen to my opinion and stuff and i have to be now really careful about what i say well like previous in my life previously in my life i've been notorious for saying things that came out the wrong way or right. i didn't mean it so i'm like i gotta focus on refining my language mm. you know because sometimes i do just i do like it in the periods where i just want to be like a troublemaker and i just want to like push the needle and stuff. And it's like, maybe I got to be careful about doing that. Mm. You know, mm. and it's like, yeah, you inspire me too. Cause it's like, we're all, none of us are an Island. We're all like nodes in a network. Mm. And like, when I see you, I'm like, that's someone I could like be a node with in our own network that can branch out, you know? Thank you. Yes. And that's, that's what my experience has been with podcasting is, is every conversation like this that I've had is another node in the network. And these podcast friendships tend to build over time and, and, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. Right. So, you know, welcome to the, welcome to the club, brother. (laughs) Thank you, Mark. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's really interesting. I think people who listen to shows like ours already have a fair level of open-mindedness and discernment. They don't need to be, you know, babied, 
uh, touched with kid. Yeah, clothes, dude, you know? it's that it's that Mark Twain quote. Like censorship is like telling you you can't have a steak because a baby can't chew it. <laughs> like, right. It's like we're we're grown men. Like we can handle the difficult information. Like let us speak on it. Like stop censoring us just because other people can't handle it. Right now, on that note, um, your documentary that you put out was censored from YouTube. Has this was this the first time you've experienced that with YouTube? Were there other conversation or like topics you touched on that were controversial or banned? Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised I made it this far because this has never happened to me before. Because again, the documentary got a warning, and then I re-uploaded it with the edits, and then that's when I got a strike. Right. I'm like, wow, man, I, it concerned me because I'm like just stepping back into the game, and already I got a channel that has a strike on it, mm. and I'm about to have like some like controversial people on my show too. And it's like, yeah, it's it was stressful. I'm not going to lie, because I was actually out like celebrating with my girlfriend because some good things were happening with the channel. And then I get home and I see that I got a strike mm. for a video that they told me I could post. Right. Um, but I mean, 2023 could be the year of the alternative platforms. And it's like, that's what we should be building up anyway. Well, and, and that's kind of where I was kind of leaning towards because I'm actually in touch with a, a really cool service called My Movies Plus that hosts documentaries like this one. So maybe we can get you in touch with uh, David over there and he can host your uh, video there. And, and then, you know, obviously there are alternative platforms. I like Rockfin. Rockfin's, you know, obviously. Yeah, I have a Rockfin. Yeah. Rockfin, cool. All right. Well, we're going to make sure. I actually got your contact info from um, uh, Legit Bat Podcast, Joe. Yeah, yeah Joe Joe, uh, Joe, and I have been podcasting for a while. He's awesome. I, you, you meant, Either you mentioned that or, or Joe mentioned that. But, yeah, I knew that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, I wasn't there. Nice. But Rockfin is, is a great way for people to kind of step outside of that YouTube echo chamber because, like, although you can find some really cool stuff on YouTube, they don't encourage people to find our content, right? Like you may find our content through like a, a podcast interview more readily than you would through their algorithm. And I think that's how I find most of my audiences through like doing interviews like this, where like you have some people on your channel, I have some people on my channel. Now they know about both of our channels or now they know about, you know, the interviews I've done and all that kind of stuff is really more effective than just relying on YouTube. But Rumble, I don't have a lot of people following Yeah, dude, it's like, okay, before I was in the tree game, I was a web developer. So I was like mm. making websites and stuff. And there is like a certain like art that goes into creating a site. And each site does have like a certain like energy and vibe to it. Right. Rumble, I don't know if I like their like energy that much. Like I'm t a website that I like their vibe is Odyssey. Like Odyssey just gives me like a warm feeling. I like their UI. Mm. Um, that's where I'm like kind of focusing on right now, even though everyone told me, oh, go for Rumble. Um, and Rockfin is cool too. I like Rockfin. See, I, I was about to say, I don't like Rumble because the comments I get on there are overwhelmingly strange. <laughs> so I don't really? know what that says about people who are on Rumble. No slight to anybody who watches my show on Rumble, but I do get a, more often than not, the comments on my videos there are just from people who like, they just don't seem to know much about conspiracies like it just it seems like they're just kind of fair weather 
they're not really like fans. They're just like people who are like conspiracies yeah. are dumb by like, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that kind of See, stuff. See, I, I, I know what you mean from bit shoot, like bit shoot. I feel like people want to fight me more <laughs> yes. than like YouTube on YouTube. It's like a love fest. It's mostly like everybody gets it. Everybody's digging it. Then like bit shoot is going into like kind of the dark corners of the internet where people will just say whatever. Right. And Odyssey, I, I agree with you on Odyssey. It is cool. Um, but I just don't have enough people supporting me there. I have a, a sort of mechanism that, uh, you know, automatically uploads everything to Odyssey and Rumble once it goes out on my YouTube. So it's all taken care of automatically. So that means I don't really interact with those sites either because it's done by, you know, some mechanism that I set up. So uh, I don't really have a real strong connection with the alternative platforms outside of Rockfin because I have to like directly relate with Rockfin every time I upload a video. But uh, I think that's where we're heading is like some sort of medium has to come in to kind of organize all of these strange websites and maybe even include YouTube. Maybe it's an app, maybe it's a website, but something needs to kind of like organize it all and bring people into uh, at least like a place that's decentralized enough uh, where, you know, it's not going to become another social media, but it's also going to be like, you know, one stop shop convenient because that's what people want. You know, they just that's why YouTube's still so popular because it has that one-stop shop design built into it. It has that user-friendly yeah, AI. YouTube, I think YouTube, they understand that all the geniuses and the dissidents, the interesting people can always be found on the outskirts of polite society. And if YouTube purges everyone that's outside of that bell curve, the whole entire website will collapse. Even though the people that get the majority of the views and play their play the game will still be allowed on the channel it's this weird relationship that these two factions have i think they know that and that's why a bunch of people have not been purged off of youtube yet well do you think that that's why they're sort of like managing it with people like tate and all these other like pseudo influencers who come out of nowhere with these really controversial kind of like oh look at him let's make an example of him this is what happens to people who think like this and then they get thrown off to the side you know and i'm not standing up for tate because if you look into what he's getting arrested for he seems like a pretty scummy dude but you know he's definitely like parroting a lot of these like manosphere kind of talking points that are are important to a certain extent because of what we talked about before with the feminization of our country but there's also this like mockery that's being made of it with this like you know that guy who eats meat raw meat i don't remember his name liver king yeah like that's probably like on the spectrum of like people look at that like ah ha ha like joe rogan and the liver king like there's such alpha dummies like you know there's that perspective um and it's it just goes to alienate and create this faction of of people who feel disenfranchised much in the same way racism and segregation did that to minorities now we're sort of doing that to uh white men and i i we're both white men so you know it hasn't really affected us that much so it's not like 
you know, completely sweeping. I have a girlfriend, you have a girlfriend. We're not like incels over here, like conspiracies are real, you know, but there, there's a certain like overlap in what we're doing and the type of thinking that uh, affects that sort of franch disenfranchised people, you know? Yeah. And I think Andrew Tate, he was, um, he was capitalizing on something that was open in the market using the law of the pendulum because in our modern day society, like it's true that a lot of men out here are being like subservient to women. They're like letting women like dictate their lives, be their managers at work, treat them like garbage. And like Andrew Tate comes in and he's like, the answer to that is to pimp them out, mm, you know, right. or that's not really the answer to that, but he's taking advantage of something that's happening in the marketplace right now. That is real. Right. And it's like a legitimate concern that a lot of people have. Well, and that's why guys like Owen Benjamin get so censored, because although he does kind of say, like, from the comedian standpoint, offensive things, his message overall is like, be a fucking alpha father, raise a great family, treat your wife really well, like, support her, support your kids. And, like, because he has that kind of edge to him, they don't let that out there. They block him and suppress him and you know he's just one of many people who i'm sure talk about these kind of things he's this you know person i know the best and you mentioned him before so i don't mean to like you know keep bringing him up but he definitely uh is an example of somebody who stands for that kind of stuff that isn't given that same spotlight he's been pushed out of that spotlight because of his views yeah. And he's like, um, he advocates for like building your own community that's outside of the system. And I think that's the number one danger to the system that he harbors. Right. Cause he shows people like, Oh, we don't need them. We right. can just do our own thing, grow our own food. Right. That's I think the crux of why they go after him. Right. And that's, and that's a good indication of like what you're engaging with for folks listening who are like, yeah, but I like I liked some of what Andrew Tate said. It's like, well, when you see that he's slapping women and, and pimping them out, okay, that's when you say, all right, I'm not going to follow this guy anymore. When you see a guy like Owen Benjamin and his like synopsis is grow your own food, like, okay, that's a guy you should go and learn from, you know, and, and look for people who have those kind of uh, objectives, you know. It's pretty simple. And, and you know, we talked about this sort of at the beginning, but there are some characters in this field who, you know, they don't seem to have families. They don't seem to have a really optimistic take on conspiracies. And, you know, although they may make for an interesting interview subject, what are we really getting from that conversation at the end of the day? If it's not something that's building us up as individuals and concurrently building up us up as a community, then is it worth our time? I, I say no. I think you would agree with me. Yeah, that's something I've been contemplating recently because I do talk about Gnosticism on my channel. And because I think it's just a cool subject, I like to figure out the nature of the world I live in. But then I see all these people in the comments like saying like, oh, I can't start a family. I'm in my fleshy prison in the simulacrum. And it's like that's not a healthy way to like look at things. And I don't want to be a part of that, I guess, energy, mm. you know, even if there is truth behind it. It's like we still have some ability to manifest Right. Even if people think that that's cringe. Right. So it's like, I want to manifest like my ideal world, you right. know? 
it's just another in iteration of that same like cult like thinking that gets people to like drink the Kool-Aid and expect an uh, alien ship to take their soul off to another planet like that Marshall Applegate thing or even like the Gnostic cults of the past who truly believed they were in a prison planet and maybe took their own lives and 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 abstained from society. It's like yeah, that's destructive. That's an, a destructive impulse and and I think as human beings, if we're going to uh, remove this system of control from our midst, we need to start in the home and you start in a yeah. family unit and but, from there, the community. The, right. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. But at the same time, I don't want to I don't want to tell people to not look into Gnosticism because I honestly feel enriched from learning about it. I feel like a more full person because I can understand more everyone's side of the argument. It's just like how I used to be a liberal back in college and I supported Barack Obama. And it's like now days i'm not like a quintessential liberal but i'm happy that i was because mm. that way i can really understand like where they're coming from at the other end of the aisle and then take away the good things from there and then leave the bad well, so it enriches people to fall down these rabbit holes even if they end up being wrong yeah and i think that's also part of why gnostic you know, sex were alluring because at the time the world was much different. There was a, you know, a, a religious authority that was imposing one truth. So to go and, and become a part of this other view was very enlightening. And I yeah. think all of what they learned about then has informed where we're living now. So it's almost like seeing uh, kind of an origin point of a lot of the ideas that became a part of the enlightenment right because i mean gnosticism hermetics and the you know renaissance like those were all sort of a chain of philosophical events that led to one another so yeah i agree with you i don't think and, anyone should be yeah. afraid to look into any one thing so right and it's it like it depends on your perspective of mm -hmm. the material that you're looking at like right. back when i was like really reading howdy mikowski stuff i never for a second thought that what he was saying was that pessimistic because it reminded me that i'm an infinite being mm -hmm. and i'm like more powerful than whatever dark controllers may be here or whatnot right. and I, I had that perspective but then like the girl i was dating at the time is like you shouldn't be looking into this stuff like it's really fucking pessimistic and she hated it but it's like i was but i'm like i don't look at it as being pessimistic though but i can see how it can be to a lot of people right. so that's why i don't want to always keep talking about it i guess yeah well and and to a certain extent it, it will bring you down if you overwhelm yourself with it so yeah you want right, to take yeah. like a, a healthy approach to to this stuff and balance it but yeah i i'm not the type to shy away from the dark info even if right. it is dark because that's how we bring it into the light you know and and everything deserves to be you know inevitably shown in the light right and i don't know i mean whether I'll be the great revealer of all the truth, I mean, that's not really my goal. I'm just trying to figure out, uh, you know, what interests me and what I've kind of uh, resolved to doing over the course of the podcast is like figuring, okay, I can try to be, uh, rather than try to be an expert in, uh, you know, everything, like a master of nothing, you know, kind of approach, uh, I should try to learn about my own roots and where I live and where I'm from. And that's what kind of evolved into this esoteric America show where we have people on from other parts of the country and they share their research into the weird stuff going on in their backyard. And this month, 
for our show. We're getting into where me and my girlfriend live here in Connecticut. So we're sort of going into a lot of the research that I've been doing over the past year. And it's really fun, man. I mean, you mentioned the thing about synchronicities earlier. And I want to ask you if this has happened to you where, you know, you start looking into this stuff and you realize like your life had taken you into places that kind of foreshadowed this type of interest. uh, And you didn't realize it then, but you know, in hindsight, you kind of put it together. Yeah. I I recently realized, I think how fate works. Mm. If you look at like the bell curve of practical intelligence at like the low end, people are like, Oh, we're just controlled by fate. We can't do anything. then in the middle, people are like, no, uh, fate isn't real. We have free will. We choose our own destiny. But then at the other end of it, I think is the world that we lives in gives us opportunity to fulfill our fate. And we have the choice of whether or not to heed the call to adventure, like Mm -hmm. what Joseph Campbell talks about. Like there are certain pivotal checkpoints in our life that the God gives us. And it's like, do you heed the call to adventure? Yes or no. And you can say, yeah, let's do it. Or like, no, I'm just going to do something else. And if you heed the call to adventure, that's when you start to see more synchronicities. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, you sort of take up this path of discovery that leads to more uh, turning points like that. And uh, yeah, I hope people hear that and feel inspired and not think, oh no, I did I take the wrong path? Because <laughs> right. you'll get so many other checkpoints, even if you turned away from it one time. Right, right. Thank you. Yes. And I think that's definitely something people need to know is it's never too late and those checkpoints will keep coming up even if you miss the synchronicities in the past uh there are more opportunities to soak it all in and yeah man this has been really awesome brett we're almost at the top of the second hour here so tell us a little bit more about yourself and where people can find all your stuff obviously we have a youtube channel a rockfin channel the rockfin channel i assume is also at brett bender right and uh yeah it's brett bender see i had a question for you about rockfin because like right when i started it i already got like 150 followers and i'm like okay i didn't even like advertise (laughs) this i feel like does rockfin like inflate the follower number because the analytics don't provide too much info yeah so it's vague and what my guess is because i don't know for sure my best guess is is it's something to do with the way you sign up for rockfin so if you notice when you made your user account for rockfin it like upon setting you up with your account gave you like five or ten like suggestions like oh follow these people and it was almost like they were already followed for you or like suggested and you had to click on them think that's why that happens is like they're just like constantly like giving you followers through that sign up and like those people Like they may have just been like, oh, Brett Bender, click, and then never went to view your video yet, you know? Yeah, right. Because I've noticed that it wasn't until like I had like a couple thousand people following me on Rockfin that I had like 10 or 15 likes and comments per video. So you really got to go by the viewers and the comments to gauge how many you like not that rockfin's doing that purposely i don't know if it's purposely it definitely helps give you the illusion that you're popular when maybe you're not right. which doesn't hurt but uh but uh, yeah we might be saying okay. yeah that much. answers that answers that but um I, i'm on a lot of platforms i'm on youtube is my main one uh, i got an instagram brett bender 333 i just i just started a twitter 
Um, what I really love is Telegram. You can find the link to my Telegram in any of my descriptions on YouTube. I got a bit shoot, um, Odyssey and Rumble. Cool. And uh, yeah, Telegram's awesome, man. I have uh, a couple different Telegrams that I manage, one uh, one of which for my show and then for another show that I do. And yeah, it's it's always cool to see what people are posting in there. I occasionally get ideas for shows out of uh, that, you know, great repository of people who are all kind of already yeah. into this content, you know? Uh, yeah, like we have fun on the Telegram channel. So if you want to join a community, join my Telegram. Mm -hmm. And if you want to become a member on my YouTube channel, please do too. That's how you can be involved in the community and become a uh, reformed NPC, as I call it. Nice, <laughs> nice, right on. Well, cool, man. Yeah, definitely go and sign up for that. Uh, how does the YouTube subscriber thing work? Do you like how that works? I mean, I have a Patreon. I don't know if you have a Patreon as well, but I yeah. See, I was surprised how much money um that YouTube takes from the memberships. Like, I swear they took like almost fifty percent. Really? Yeah. Patreon which takes somewhere around thirty percent, which sounds like a lot, but once you get a couple of people signed up, it's not too bad. Um, but yeah, I I always recommend people you know fan out their uh sort of spot you know sub supporter things they'll get like a patreon can. and a youtube membership yeah just to give people the as many options as you can and then when you see where people like your stuff the best then maybe sort of close off those other options and focus on one that's kind of what i did with uh patreon and rockfin's kind of growing on the side but i i did start a, a sub stack not that the audience is so interested in the podcast uh, inside baseball, but I think you'd care about this Substack. If you haven't uh, checked it out already, they let you upload videos and audio so you can publish your podcast through Substack and they give you like, you know, an email subscription service. So you're like sending your followers emails constantly, which could be annoying, but also is helpful. It gets, you know, gets your 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 content out to people on a regular basis and they also have like you know the subscriber thing so you could pay like a certain amount a month to support you and get extra stuff so check out Substack if you haven't already it could be you know I recently made one and I really love it okay yeah I think Joe from legit bat mentioned that too cool cool yeah, yeah. Joe's awesome. I got to go back on their show. I think we have something scheduled for towards the end of the month. I've been uh, a friend of Legit Bat since the beginning of my podcast uh, career. I, that was one of the first shows that I <laughs> would go on. But yeah, Joe, Jen, and Ben, shout out to all of them. I think they even have a new uh, co-host now. I don't know if the Ben's girlfriend joins them on the show. Uh, but either way. Right. But yeah, you're on Telegram and Instagram, so we can uh, meet up on there. We'll link up on there. Do you have Instagram or Twitter, anything like? Uh, yeah, I got. I just started the Twitter, uh, and I have an Instagram. Yeah, Brett Bender three three three. So all of that will be in the episode description for folks listening and on Rockfin and YouTube. Thank you for being here, folks. If you're not subscribed to Brett Bender yet, go over there and subscribe. And uh, thank you for tuning in. I hope thank you, you Mark. Yeah, dude. Thank you. And uh, for folks listening, I hope you enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast with Brett Bender, a new friend, someone I just met uh, very recently, and we scheduled this podcast, and here we are. Shout out to Joe from the Legit Bat podcast for making the connection. And uh, speaking of connections, YouTube has blocked Brett's documentary, as you may have heard. So uh, stay tuned or look in the description. I'm not sure if we have an, a link yet for that documentary, um, but <clears throat> the link will be posted in the description as soon as I find it. So just check up on that or go and subscribe to Brett Bender on YouTube. I'm sure he'll have a video there linking you to wherever this documentary is because obviously youtube does not want you to see it hence why we talked about it here on the podcast and uh yeah really brave of him to go into that topic it's definitely a shady realm that i wouldn't do any original research in but then again i'm looking into skull and bones so <laughs> who am i to judge so shout out to brett He's a good dude, as far as I know, as far as I can tell. Uh, nice guy. Pleasure to, to meet him. Uh, speaking of nice guys, people that I've become friends with, the intro, you may have noticed, is different from our typical intro, the rap intro, hopefully, so, so long as I didn't forget. Um, <clears throat> I won't forget. I'll make a note of it. But the intro was put together by a friend of mine, a fellow who has his own podcast, his name is Shane Newsom. His podcast is called I Knew Some, But I Didn't Know It All. Uh, and Newsome is spelled N-E-W-S-O-M-E. -E. Now, Shane recently spoke to me on the phone and made me aware of this troubling situation he's going through. His wife, mother of his two children, a newborn, three-month-old, has been uh, struggling with epilepsy and I'm very sorry to hear that and I'd like anyone in the audience who can help to listen in real carefully here um, because it doesn't sound good and, and I'm worried and I think people uh, who listen to Shane's podcast love Shane he's a great guy uh, he also is on the podcast Horns Up where he does some tremendous work as a musician creating uh, original songs for the episodes and other friends of the show who have been on this show before are also co-hosts on that show with him horns up um jay hennahan andy rouse dan donunaki uh but anyways point being uh, shane's in a pretty tough spot right now his wife has uh, this trouble with epilepsy and they would like to raise the money to buy a service dog to help with epilepsy which I think is tremendous that our animal guardians can fulfill that kind of role for someone with epilepsy I did a little research and found out that you know re, uh, service dogs I keep wanting to say rescue dogs service dogs uh, are trained to do some pretty amazing things uh, that can lead to saving the life of someone who has epilepsy and 
maybe suffers from a stroke, uh, especially a mother of a young child, you know, there could be some potentially dangerous situations that uh, unfold if she doesn't have a service dog or someone there to help out. So Shane has set up a give, send, go. The link will be in the description of this episode. And if you can afford to, if you can help out, uh, please do. And make sure you leave a little note saying you heard about this on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And even send me a message letting me know that you donated to the Gifts and Go. And I'll give you a shout out on this show. And we'll hopefully uh, talk about this in future outros. But anyways, uh, Shane Newsome, good friend. I've known him for about a year now. He created a song out of the kindness of his heart for this podcast, free of charge. And uh, and yeah, he's just a, a really stand-up guy. Every interaction I've had with him has been uh, kind and enlightening and brightening. He's a trippy kind of dude. He's into psychedelics. He's into airsoft. Someone I want to hang out with. Uh, we don't live very close, but it'll happen one day. So anyways, uh, give Shane some help. Help out his lovely lady uh, and their two young children. Go over to their give, send, go. And uh, yeah, that's all I'll say about that for now. Please do get in touch with me if you've supported the give, send, go. And I'll be sure to give you a shout out. Because you deserve it for helping out uh, with a noble cause. So that's it, folks. This was a great episode. I do want to give... Two more shout outs. Of course, I have to encourage everybody to support this podcast as well so we can continue to support uh, people like Shane and all the other amazing guests and folks who've contributed to this podcast. Uh, and you can support this show directly by going to Patreon, going to Rockfin, going to our Substack. You can go to the Ko-Fi store and pick up a copy of Scene Edition 1 or 2 or my little pamphlet on bibliomancy it's all there in the episode description all the ways to support the show you can also go to the website myfamilythinksimcrazy.com and there will be all of the links to whatever you want to find um <clears throat> i was putting some stuff on the website for a little while but now that I have Substack going, I've been writing articles on the Substack. So if you want to be a part of my email list, you'll get an update every time I put an article out. I do put out free articles and articles behind a paywall. I'm still uh, learning how to be a effective writer. So although I've written my whole life, I think I'm, I'm kind of sharpening my skills through doing this. And that's one of my new year's resolutions. So support me in my new endeavor, uh, by supporting the Substack. Also shout out to some folks who gave us a five-star review. Uh, someone who I've talked to on social media, he's a musician. You can find his music on Spotify and a couple other places. You can just type in erroneous method that's the name of his instagram account and that's also his rap name you can find him on wherever you listen to music uh erroneous method Le left us a really kind five-star review so thank you so much also real deal left us a five-star rating and review he really liked richard spence 
and I's conversation. So whatever it is you'd like to say about the show, do it in a kind way. Give yourself some good karma. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Anything less will not be mentioned here on the show. Uh, If you want your rating and review, uh, shout it out. Well, here it is. Actually, I should probably read them. That'd be cool. These two were pretty brief, uh, but I will say, erroneous method. I've talked to him before. He's a great guy. And he's also sent me some pretty cool information about the Bone Wars, the dinosaur hunters who, I don't know where you folks listening stand on dinosaurs, but the more you look into it, the fishier it gets. Who knows what was really going on with these paleontologists and what they're really up to. So who knows? Maybe I'll find a guest to talk about that on a future episode. But until next time, folks, thanks for tuning in. Support us on Patreon. Support Shane Newsom. Give, send, go. All of the links are in the description. And of course, support yourself. Immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. My cars, my fancy things, my whack ass bling, my Bentley, my Porsche, my accumulated scratch, my Range Rover, boom boom. Gimme, 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 my champagne, my fashion designer clothes, Gucci this, Fendi that. MFTIC. Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on ya Subliminal messages, hijacking perception Tricking the population with holographic projections We see through it, and the system is unraveling I'm astral traveling through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey, I embark with the squad Forever spitting truth like Mark on the pod Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers, searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade I awoke in a deep underground military base Zero recollection of how I got to this place Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders Must have been extracted when they crashed into us Animal hybrids contained in the cages A lion with the eagle head Monkeys with reptilian faces Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit All of a sudden the wall flickers away Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft My getaway, I run to the nearest one See a guard knock him out Rob him for his plasma gun Hop in the ship, take the controls They highly intuitive, I figure it out easily Lift off, accelerate through a tunnel until I see the light Fly into the sky, get flanked by six F-35s facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers, searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are 
We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade.